This call is now being recorded. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Barbarian Noetics podcast. I'm incredibly excited to be joined by a very special guest. We have calling all the way in from Toronto, uh, Lubomir Arsav. How's it going? It's going well, Colin. Thanks a lot for having me, man. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. I apologize if I butchered the pronunciation of your name. <laughs> no, I, that was that was actually pretty accurate. Okay, hell yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I want to respect your time and everything, so I kind of just want to dive right in. Um, just to start things off, would you introduce yourself to my listeners and just talk a little bit about, you know, where you grew up, um, how you came into the, the world of being an artist and creative expressions, and just a little bit about your upbringing? Mm-hmm, sure. Uh, well, I was born in Bulgaria, in the capital, Sofia. So I we lived there until... I was about 12 years old, at which point uh, my whole family immigrated to Canada, to Toronto, and I've been here ever since, on and off. Um, and I, I started drawing early on. I was really enthralled by 2D animation in particular. Something about moving drawings really captured me. And then I had this, um, I had a natural talent in high school uh, for drawing and earlier on. And at one point it dawned on me that I could make a living doing that. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm sure there was not – yeah, I know that there was something deeper there because something about images coming together to create a story uh, always hit hard for me, especially when I was the one doing it. It, it brought me great satisfaction and fulfillment, which was a, a, a great sign that that's something I, I needed to pursue mm-hmm. as a form of expression. And so, um, you know, beyond that, comic books, as, as, as many young men uh, – grabbed my attention with, with a lot of their sort of like the strong impact of the heroic and the dramatic and the tragic elements that they bring. Mm-hmm. Cinema, of course, uh, has brought a lot to my my sensibility to, you know, moving images with sounds is, is, is an incredible magical art form. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I'm sorry, I kind of lost track of your question, but in general, that's that's a, a quick overview of kind of like what has led me into, well, what has led me into being an, uh, working in the animation industry. Yeah, to pick up that that thread from there. So, <laughs> uh, and you know, as, as many of us make our way uh, into this world as apprentices, and then as a potentially moving into masterhood or mastership or mastery. <laughs> um, I've I've been working for uh, you know a, a lot of a lot of bigger companies, small and big, um, and one making a living, two improving my craft, and three sort of like taking my time to figure out how to best navigate this space so that I can express um, themes and subjects that seem important to me, mm-hmm. not only important to me but as a matter of duty to impart certain certain visions uh, in a symbolic form that they may be available then to the greater culture and thus mm-hmm. be of service. And, you know, it's uh, th- there's the eternal challenge of, of art and commerce, and that's a very valid one because in the material realm we have to manifest ideas, and to manifest ideas takes resources mm-hmm. and discipline, et cetera. So it's, a, it's an interesting, interesting um, Battle. Actually, it's not a battle. It's, it's a battle. Sometimes it's actually more of an art form in itself. It's how do you manifest ideas in the physical hmm. reality? Interesting. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, how old were you again when you uh, emigrated from Sofia to Toronto? I was 11 years old, turned 12 a month later. Um, was Were those first, I mean, because by the time you're 11, you know, you're, like, I definitely have some memories, you know, especially like starting from around the time I was six, I have quite a few memories. I don't know if that's true for you too, but how did that, your, your those early formative years in Bulgaria, how do you think that impacted you as a person, as an artist? Mm-hmm, good question. Well, it, it impacted me greatly. The remnants of communism um, and the sort of the mentality of those around me, of the adults being shell-shocked by the heavy hand of, of censorship and, and coerced behavior mm-hmm. it was part of my upbringing, especially within my the the pers- personalities of my very honest and hardworking parents who were not willing to um, submit themselves to unethical behavior to profit, which is what happened when communism fell. Mm. Now, it's a whole other story, but you probably know about, for instance, the Russian oligarchs. Some similar things happen in, in Canada. Oh, not Canada. Funny enough, actually, Canada is happening now, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, in, in, in Bulgaria, what happened is um, the same elites and the same families who were pretending to play communism then just bought up all of the public assets and turned them into private assets and thus screwed the population. So um, that mm-hmm. that in itself was um, – and, and something about, you know, my generation. I was born in 1982, uh, so – I think a lot of us, even just around the world, even in the West, you know, we we were outside a lot more. And there's something about the the ruggedness of where I grew up, and which was in these gray, very utilitarian communist buildings in the outskirts of uh, Sofia, the capital, in mm-hmm. uh, which you know you had to basically wait for a long time for the right to or bribe people to have to own a little apartment, mm-hmm. and so. There was a lot of, um, as far as kids were concerned, it was actually a, there was a lot of freedom and a lot of uh, grit that that helped inform me on. I think it matured me a bit more, um, mm-hmm. having to deal with a deal with a bunch of things there that maybe I wouldn't have dealt with in Canada. Maybe I would have. It depends on what city I grew in. Honestly, I think those those kind of hardships are common to humanity. Mm-hmm. But. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's in the fact that it's, it was a different culture than the one I'm used to now. So I think the contrast between cultures is what uh, any immigrant carries with them. And it's interesting because it, I think it, it what it does is it, it, um, it really indicates the, the relativity of cultures and that a culture we're born into sort of like it loses its absolute, uh, nature, right? And so now moving into a different country, mm-hmm. you start seeing that things are actually not uh, defined aspects of reality, but they're actually part of a social contract and agreements. And mm-hmm. I think that may have helped me see, uh, sort of zoom out and see certain social norms uh, for what closer to what they are, as opposed to seeing them as um, unconsidered laws and rules of behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Uh, one of my kind of like this keeps coming up in my interviews, the fact that uh, the the kind of the, the way almost society seems to be structured, at least up to this point, it's the elites themselves that are corrupt. So it doesn't matter if they want to call themselves communist, socialist, neoliberal, that class of people seems to be inherently corrupt. And I don't want to 
jump ahead of ourselves, but that is definitely a, a thread in, in the short film that we're going to discuss. And so just really quick, I want to clarify, when you said like the heavy hand of censorship, you were speaking of the ruling class in Bulgaria. First, they, they called themselves communists, then they called themselves something else. But is that kind of what you were saying? Yeah, that's right. Okay. And like, how did that censorship manifest and stuff? I mean, I know you were kind of young, but. Mm -hmm. I was young. Yeah. So from my parents' perspective and the stories that they have told me and, you know, all, all the other adults around us and their friends and my grandparents, um, it basically is coercion through intimidation. And there were also labor camps in Bulgaria, oh, something shit. that many Bulgarians didn't want to admit, um, you know, until the 80s, it started coming out a bit more. But when communism fell at the end of 1989, that's when those things started emerging, that the camps were basically these brutal... And, and you know, my mom, for instance, she was warned a number of times. She's, she tends to tell jokes, subversive jokes, and she's been, she was warned by certain colleagues a number of times about wow. expressing her views. And, you know, people would disappear here and there. Damn. And like, yeah. So that, that did happen, even though there were aspects to... It's not like it was... It's not like it was all gray and terrible. There were also beautiful moments of humanity and other things happening in the country. There were some other freedoms that some people were actually funny enough look back and, and lament about right now. But still, overall, we had that, that blanket of yeah censorship in the form of if, if you can't express something, if you can't speak it, you stop thinking it. And when you stop thinking, you're censoring your thoughts. When you censor your thoughts, you're mm -hmm. actually amputating the, your ability to think about reality because you now accept only a tunnel vision that, that will get you through the day. And so that's, that's an incredible violence toward the human soul and spirit in general, but it manifests in the soul. So, um, yeah, and there were, there was another thing I wanted to mention. Yeah. For instance, my dad, in hindsight, he, he found out that, um, hmm, maybe, you know what? I don't feel actually, sharing this publicly that's kind of his thing but yeah some, some oh yeah really no problem uncomfortable things were, were revealed later on about you know things uh happening around them so anyway sorry yeah <laughs> man when you when you described uh the amputation of thought uh that is just so well said and it couldn't possibly be more relevant and pertinent <laughs> especially yeah. to our <clears throat> our american society right now in terms of um you know how that's such a good point that when you stop when you're when when you're not allowed to express something you stop thinking about it and then that's like that amputation and right now like on on the legacy uh outlets i'm calling youtube a legacy outlet even though it's pretty recent but in terms of it it's captured and if you talk about certain things they just delete your post or they demonetize your post and that's having i'm just watching it in real time have this incredibly insidious effect on on the discourse broadly and like you know i surround myself with my own independent media and, and I have specific journalists and investigators that I respect and that I follow. But like, you know, if you're just out floating in the world, especially just trying to make a living, trying to get by, it's, it's so incredibly insidious to, like you say, like amputate that it's the thought police, basically. Like we've entered mm -hmm. the realm of, of the thought police and, uh, it's, it's really unsettling. <laughs> to say it, the is, least. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want you to talk about some of your, so you said that you started drawing at a very young age, um, and I, you mentioned that you were into comic books. Do you have any specific artistic or like, uh, mythical or comic influences that really impacted your art moving forward? 
Yeah, I do. Um, I do. Uh, Frank Frazetta is huge. And of course you would know Frank Frazetta given, given the name of your podcast and your name. Um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And, um, actually it's funny. I, I really mainly learned my anatomy from copying his drawings. And of course I went to anatomy classes after that, but, um, Todd McFarlane was actually a, a, an inspiration to me. I was, I read a lot of Spawn. Uh, Gunnar Kapoor was another artist from then. Um, I was kind of like really into the image guys and some of them looking back were not probably not, not the most ideal influences growing up. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We all have that. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, Joe Madureira, uh, actually was a big inspiration to me. He was, he drew X-Men Battle Chasers, uh, something about his aesthetic, I think appealed to a lot of a lot of young young kids at that, at that time, and then Mike Mignola also um, inspired me quite heavily. Um, and then in the later years, Robert Valley is a is a very you know very skilled artist that that comes to mind. And God, in the comic book realm, it's difficult to say now. It's uh, there's so many I know that I'm missing, and I haven't thought about this for a while. I'm sorry, I'm drawing kind of a blank. But yeah, no, that was great. I mean. Yeah, that was a lot of threads for, for listeners to pull on if they want to explore some of these artists. Um, Great. So did you say that you – you said that you were kind of like organically drawn to animation. Did you do anything like flip books or anything like that when you were little? Like did you start trying to create your own kind of like uh, pseudo animations amongst your drawings or was that something that you were like I, you wanted to do it and then you learned how to do it later? Yeah, so it did start with flipbooks and stuff like that, doing kind of like obscene drawings with uh, my best friend in Bulgaria, <laughs> actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah, exactly. And, and that, that stuff, that was, that was pretty magical. So we, we actually used to grab markers, like uh, permanent markers, uh, and go around the, the different the playgrounds and slides, the plastic slides in Bulgaria, and just like basically draw Smurfs and all kinds of other innocent things all over them. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, that was our like way of bombing or graffiti back in the day. But um, <laughs> it was something happened in grade nine, I think. In one of my computer classes, we we had a certain program. It was something like um, what are those presentation programs called? I forget. PowerPoint. PowerPoint? Something like, yeah, something like PowerPoint. We were being yeah. instructed on that, and instead of using it for a presentation, I just started using the different slides as frames and, and started making little animations. Oh, cool. And, uh, I remember that specific day that something, something ignited in my heart of seeing the sequential drawings turning into a story and me being the author was exhilarating. So that stayed with me. Mm. And, um, and, and beyond that, it was also this deeper sense within me with, and maybe you can relate, listening to powerful music that would stimulate me emotionally. To the mm. point of like, um, fantasies of heroism or just like overcoming, overcoming hardship and overcoming great odds mm-hmm. and the triumph of that. And there were abstract, like, energies in me that were moving, but there were many of those times that made me, made me yearn for having a great story, um, move, move through me. So that it could be birthed, and mm-hmm. I was not anywhere. I was not capable of doing that then, and I knew it, even though I tried with little amateur comic books at home. But that sort of impulse has stayed within me since, and it still comes back. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's probably the most powerful driving force within me because everything else then, because the backbone of everything else, which is mm-hmm. the skill, the craft, the, the discipline and maintaining the vision. But it, it, for me, if it's not driven by that inner spark, which is what happened within Shadow, if that's not there and if I can't uh, reference to it to nourish the project and all those hard days and nights when it's being made, then and I, I don't think I can really go through a meaningful project fully. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Um, so the way I came across you is I was like literally just I had some free time. I, you know, had gone to the dispensary. I was chilling and I was like, I want to watch some trippy cartoons. And so I literally <laughs> just started searching for like trippy cartoons. And I, you know, I eventually came across like a, a kind of a playlist of all these different uh, films. And I was like, do to do, you know, I mean, some of them were kind of more intense than others, but then I, I clicked on the, the film that you just referenced in shadow. And I really can't describe to you how mind blowing the experience was of, of viewing this hmm. film. Uh, the ability for, well, I think, I think first off, I resonate with the vision of the film. So I had kind of that, I was on similar frequency with the film to begin with, but also the way that you convey these ideas, which are, it felt like it was actually quite intense and, and at times horrifying, you know, the imagery, but it also strangely cathartic because I felt like some, some, someone or this, this animation was somehow uh, sort of transcribing for myself my own, like, sort of these senses, ideas, maybe something I'd written about, but never quite, like, cohe- cohered in that, uh, in that way so beautifully. And, um, yeah, so I guess the, the very first thing I want to say is just, like, thank you for, for making that film. Um, I think it's incredibly important, and I think uh, that I'm kind of, you know, this is me doing my part to get, get the message out about this film so that everybody can watch it because it's essential viewing right now <laughs> for the present world. Mm-hmm. And really, really quick, too, before, before we dig into the details of the film, I love the fact that you had your epiphany when you were being taught, like, some boring-type PowerPoint-type program because I think like one of the best most beautiful things about creativity and art is that it transmutes and like you you were being taught this like lame kind of like office-y sort of uh sterile like form of of you know like holding meetings and stuff like some of just the the grimmest you know moments in life and instead you 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 transmuted that like you said with that inner spark flared up and something in you was like, no, no, we can like let let's take this technology and make you know use it to our own ends and whatever. I just think that's a really cool anecdote. Um, but yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about how you came to the idea um, to make In Shadow and uh, yeah, any influences for that and just bring us up to like your journey of when you 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 had the notion and then you started to create it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, thanks. Thanks for saying saying all that. It's very very nice to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I I was as I was going through my process of of, of exploring the shadow and the underworld of of our um, geopolitical landscape, uh, the parapolitical landscape of like how politics are actually done behind closed doors and all those dynamics. Mm-hmm. As I was uh, saturating myself in, in all of this information. Uh, and I mean also like empirical information, not just conjectures 
Um, I mean, mm-hmm. like actual data of seeing how this this thing worked together. And there was a saturation point after a number of years of, of delving into this in which um, there was a, a coherent picture that was starting to emerge within me. Mm-hmm. And and that, that picture alienated me from my peers um, and from just city life in general and culture mm-hmm. in general because I started seeing uh, artifice in it. And I was by no means purified of any of it or of my lower nature at all. But mm-hmm. but what what started happening was was an, a deep aversion and uh, a, 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 something about the dignity of being myself and being human didn't allow me to participate in that and just like put my head down and continue doing it. Mm-hmm. And so um, that righteous indignation started turning into uh, these visual glimpses I would get of kind of like the most simple uh symbolic representation of something that i would see so for instance the you know the revolving door between uh corporatism and and big government and and the cronyism that happens there that then you know like profits from sick people uh for mm-hmm. the benefit of themselves etc mm-hmm. and i started seeing images that would, were like describing that uh in a way that was immediate and that felt very effective as opposed to, you know, putting sentences to it, just like I did right now, yes. which you can come from, come in from one year and, and exit from the other. <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, you know, there's <laughs> something about uh, images and the string of images, especially this relentless barrage that I tried to uh, to impart within Shadow. Oh, man. Which, uh, relentless I, as yeah. fuck, dude. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There was, you know, for the longest time, I had um, I had a little scribbled post-it note beside me on my desk, and and it was it said something like "be relentless, merciless," something like that. It was some some really like there was some some fighting words in there, because <laughs> because I I didn't want to take it too easy on the audience just because it 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 was meant to for those people like you you yourself you said you were aligned to some of the themes in the film, but and, and so. In, in that regard, there's a, some preaching to the choir, but also inspiring the troops to to really energize them. Mm-hmm, and and totally. like you said, to create a coherent picture that sort of frames the the situation as best as I at least could frame it at that mm-hmm. time. But also, there's the other part in which it's it's the you know the so-called if if I may use this language, fellow sleepers, you know, people who just are, are running a lot more scripts than than maybe some other people, and and those people uh, just I had this this sort of rebellious urge to to shake them out of their slumber mm-hmm. if they they chose to come on on the journey and to do so I th- I thought some of the, that imagery was necessary but um I'm sorry I deviated quite a bit so I'll go back to the origins a little bit more and so after uh, starting to get these these images in my head as I was still doing my research and, and regularly reading into and into these topics and expanding my understanding of what is happening in this reality. Um, yeah, those images just basically, I decided to write a little script. Um, the script was basically, you know, going through the various institutions of society, also the various behaviors, the various um, psychological dynamics in the mm-hmm. simplest form between people and mostly within ourselves. Because mm-hmm. that, that's where it all starts. And I think that's where it all ends in a way. But mm-hmm. um uh and 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 creating uh creating this journey of this mythical journey we're on right now which is the hero's journey uh of of really facing 
our own demons, uh, which are tapped into the collective demons. Mm-hmm. They're kind of inseparable. And only by bringing those to light can we then deal with them, uh, mm-hmm. with all of the greater virtues that we will have to then awaken in order to deal with them. So it's a beautiful journey because in order to deal with the darkest spaces, we have to bring the highest and most light aspects of ourselves, the most noble and strong and grounded in truth aspects. And without the darkness, um, it's likely that within this realm of existence, that wouldn't happen. So there's this sort right. of dance that happens, right, with the darkness and the light. Interesting. And which is why we can respect the darkness for for the burden it's taken on upon itself and many of the lost souls who have succumbed so so deeply within it, the program of unconsciousness that they have um they they've truly damned their souls and, and, and you know, like blessings to them on the ascendant path back to God <laughs> to soar yeah. because yeah. that's not gonna be an easy journey. Um so anyway, seeing having having that um brought out into the the collective consciousness through this imagery was my hope that it would um, create some sort of template uh, for the audience to then make sense of the things that I thought were to come. And here we are with this situation right now, 2021. Oh, my God. And I do, yeah, yeah, and I do think we are at the beginning of something uh, great. Um, and we'll see what great means <laughs> exactly. Right, right. But, uh, <laughs> but I think... <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I included this in the, the list of questions. I was kind of giving you an idea of, of what we were going to cover in the conversation. But one of the things that, that struck me watching this is, um, cause I, I couldn't, I could not watch it multiple times. I had, in fact, I had to kind of stop myself because I was just literally going frame by frame and pausing and just appreciating because each frame is so, uh, subtle and there's like little, you notice, notice new things about it every time you watch it but i had to stop watching it because it was getting it was it was so deeply embedding in my unconscious it was starting to affect my mental state and as someone who has continues to struggle and has struggled with depression and anxiety i have to watch that stuff you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. but i was thinking then for for you for the creator because you you wrote this you this is you this is your creation um how was it for you psychologically while you were actually constructing these images? Um, and was it challenging at all for you to, to be like right up close and personal with really some of the darkest and most repressed currents of our society? How was that for you psychologically? Yeah, you know, for me, I think it was kind of the reverse because I was already burdened by those those things psychologically. And so actually externalizing them through this art especially for what I perceive to be a greater good, um, became somewhat therapeutic. So the more that I was able to put these images into the physical realm, uh, the more of them that I got ready for the eventual animation, I think the more I made peace with with this dark reality. So mm. it, was, it was processing it all, actually. I didn't realize it then entirely, but if there was something about... There's a satisfaction of within within any of uh, you can relate to this, this sort of the shamanic uh, archetype of, of the warrior archetype, let's say, of mm-hmm. the shamanic warrior who who um, goes into the underworld and 
and sort of like brings out in an understandable way to the culture the underlying psychological dynamics. Mm-hmm. And so it, there's that for me, for my personality, there's a satisfaction in shining a light on, on quote-unquote the devil, right? We can just use that mythical term, mm-hmm. on the darkness. Something about that felt like, um, I don't know, it's funny, the word retribution comes to mind, but it's not the right word. It's something mm-hmm. about maybe justice, like justice in the truest sense of, of, mm-hmm. of something unsavory, hiding and having a negative influence and something that is also actually created by the unconsciousness of every human being on this planet. Yeah. Yeah. So something about that gave me, uh, gave the rebellious part of me some satisfaction, like, all right, you guys want to do this? You want to live like this? Well, fucking look at this. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> so absolutely. There, yeah. Yeah. So, so there was that youthful rebelliousness in there. But yeah. There was also kind of like, um, yeah, like the righteous battle. And I mean that in a good sense, the righteous battle for like, all right, well, we're going to shine a light on this darkness and it's going to sizzle. And that's what happens. It's just going to transmute into light. So, I'm sorry, I'm not quite hitting what I'm trying to say. I can't quite find it. But in general, there was that satisfaction. So, yeah, it didn't feel too dark for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it felt more like, fuck yeah, it felt like that. That's a real, that's a testament to, to the, that transmutation power of art and how, you know, like any sort of what I've learned is that creativity and making art is my my number one best tool in my toolbox for combating depression and I think the word that came to my mind was uh, rehabilitation I feel like mm. part of what you were doing in the film is 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 uh, an effort to rehabilitate that shadow to bring that shadow back into the light because like you say like and I, I'm not always good with actually sitting with this but I know that it's the, the highest truth is that everything is connected with source and that these beings who have sacrificed their souls so grotesquely are going to be dragged back to the light. And I do have empathy for their souls because it is going to be really intense. And so it's like, yeah, I don't know if that captures a little bit about um, kind of doing do, doing the individual work of confronting the shadow, but bringing that to a collective level, I feel like is, is definitely something that the film achieves. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, were aspects of this piece inspired at all by Carl Jung's idea of the collective unconscious? Are you a a, a reader of Carl Jung? I am, but not as much as people would presume, because, you know, I I attach that Carl Jung quote to the film. Um, Mm -hmm. I have, of course, huge respect and admiration for Jung, and I've benefited greatly from his framing of reality and everything he's unearthed from the, just the, uh, our heritage, especially within the West, our our spiritual heritage. He's brought brought forth the revitalize. He's in part hugely responsible for revitalizing the shamanic archetype within um, the Western consciousness. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I did not start thinking of Carl Jung when I embarked on this journey of making the film. Interesting. But, uh, yeah, but while making it, I started seeing some. You know, while making it, it's it, it's not like I knew fully what it was initially as as with any project whether it's art or any other project there are emerging qualities that become clear through the through go, by going through the process of making the thing happen 
And so greater understanding and greater synchronicity started coming in, coming online for me uh, mm-hmm. to define what was actually happening, what this piece was about. So Carl Jung's um, concept of the collective shadow started emerging later on. And I didn't have the name ready until later, much later in, on in the process. Uh, mm-hmm. But it felt very apt to me because then once I the, the name clicked, I really understood the project much more. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was this, in, in part, this poetic ode to the torment of the collective shadow of a deep slumber of knowing that something is wrong, yet not being able to help it because one is caught up in a pattern of one's own self, one's family situation, one's cultural situation, and then the world at, at large. So there's yeah. this sort of like like running through mud kind of feeling, and it's like it, it's sad. Like that's that's a tragic state, and yet you know it's only we are we collectively and individually that can sort of like navigate where the land is and make our way there and get ourselves out of the mud. And like mm-hmm. there's no one that that will really pull us out. I don't think. But, yeah, but, um, correct. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, so, so yeah, sorry, I don't know. I, that, that was, that was an interesting kind of tangent, but, um, yeah, so with, with Jung, um, the collective shadow really tapped, plugging back into the project started making sense of, of it all, especially the complicit nature of, of every individual. And I don't know if you've looked into egregores, but within, uh, Western, ma- the Western esoteric or magical tradition, mm-hmm. we have the egregores, which are um, psychic beings that gain autonomy only after they are they're created by um, a mass investment of thought forms and behaviors, wow. which yeah. then actually separate themselves. And instead of being ruled by the humans that think them, they now become these aberrant. Uh, individual or separated energetic clouds that now actually uh, impose their 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 rules upon the crowd and then they use mm-hmm. the crowd and siphon energy from it so we can see that within you know especially the last 10 five ten years as we've the social tensions escalate and there's huge censorship and huge uh, polarization we can mm-hmm. see that there's no real interest in listening to another side and we can see these egregores in action. So, wow, um, interesting. Yeah, and I mean, huge, huge movements, huge ideologies are, are, are just that. Um, and there's a certain way to address them and, and to not poke at them directly because one, one gets destroyed, as we've seen. So there's smart ways to, to deal with them, and that's where wisdom and knowledge uh, are very useful in this, in this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know how I got into that. I think I just wanted to relate Something yeah, about no, young conscious. Yeah. That's fascinating. Um, and I think I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because even though I have, um, I've, I've kind of, I should say, dipped my toe into the specifically the chaos magic tradition. But for some reason, up until now, I hadn't, I think I'd seen the word aggregor, but I've, I hadn't really, uh, thought of it or had it described to me. So that, that's going to be an interesting thread for me to pull on because I'm very interested in all that stuff. There's um there's a, a scene in the film when you show a line of of human beings and each one has their hand over the mouth of the of the person next to them. And yeah. I just think that is so incredibly potent what you were saying about the scripts that people are running because we have individual scripts and then we also have collective scripts 
and they work in tandem and we do it's almost like that is one of the traps of the psychological warfare we're always being subjected to is to place your hand over the mouth of your neighbor you know as as your voice is being repressed you know you you kind of like pass pass that along and um i just think that yeah that, that i mean every i don't mean to like just like go overboard with the praise but <laughs> every frame every frame is so profound and and resonant to me um it's just just really really incredible um so is, do you mind if we pivot into some specific questions about the film sure is there anything else you wanted to add or talk about before we do that no, other than I'm usually, you know, when I've spoken about the film publicly before, I, I'm concerned about defining anything specific simply mm-hmm. because it really, I think it, I always say this, but it sort of collapses it into a meaning that may be impoverished just based on even my own conception of it. Cause I've seen these, these symbols are greater than the author's like understanding of them. And, wow. and I've seen okay. a lot of, a lot of like for some things I've seen deeper realizations and analyses by the by audience members and which have informed me as well so maybe i'll just say to to those who are listening that whatever i say just take it as uh, just take it as something temporary and i would not lock down that as a definitive meaning yeah and i'll also take a pause right here and say if you have not if you've gotten this far in the podcast and you haven't watched the short film you really do need to pause here and watch it because i don't want uh what we're going to talk about to inform it's such the the force of it is so potent i do not want to i don't want to dilute that for anybody so if you have not watched it this is your time to to pause (laughs) and watch the film and then and i i do i i completely kind of resonate and understand what you're saying about how I mean you know it's kind of like the inverse of the aggregore there's also positive versions of that you know and it's like mm-hmm. yeah these ideas are the moment that you even though I am a writer and I enjoy poems but one of the reasons I like poems is because they are more of like a it's a um, sensation of the thing it's not like necessarily trying to pin the thing down because the moment you pin the thing down you just shed meaning it's like you know what I mean it's just mm-hmm. it almost like the whole thing of like the sand the more you grip the sand the more it runs through your your hand yeah so totally. i do I, yeah i just think that's a, a really beautiful reminder just in everyday life too you know like we are so encouraged all the time to yeah define everything it's a very like western thing to do like go go through life with a ledger and be like okay and like you just you know <laughs> each experience you have you know you, you kind of like check the box and it's it's a very mm-hmm. depraved way of going about life um yeah so yeah i I want to um so yeah so just this is uh impressionistic thoughts and ideas so whatever i i feel like it's such a blessing to actually be able to speak with the creator you know and so anything that you want to say or images that you that pop in your mind feel free to answer these questions non-linearly you know what i mean so have fun with Mm. it um so at the one of the first frames of the the short film and it's it's about 13 minutes long. The earth is pictured as it's, it's within a cube. And it's also, it's the earth at night, I've noticed. And I, I don't know if that was to kind of like bring attention to population centers. But I wanted to ask you, because the cube is a recurring theme. And I believe this is the first cube that's pictured is the earth in the cube. And I was just wondering if 
you could pontificate or elaborate a little bit about what you meant to kind of symbolize with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was born out of artistic inspiration and more of a feeling of some sort of intuition mm -hmm. um, because, you know, there wasn't a concrete philosophy behind it other than showing the binding nature of the cube, which represents matter, among other things. Mm -hmm. But um, it, it also ties into the red cubes later, which indicates, you know, the the various thought forms, um, social contracts, and and. and curated ways of seeing specific things so yes. various programs so that that in itself when superimposed over the earth um it's it really rigidified it uh and again made it into a dense material sort of despiritualized uh place uh symbolically and it, mm -hmm. yeah so that's in general, that's kind of like the, the feeling that I was working from, to, and also to indicate that something is not quite right here. Something is not, something is off. Yes, yes, yeah. That that gets conveyed <laughs> very yeah. very soon. I mean, the the very very first, I believe the very first image is is the circle, and then the circle separates, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and that that also is just I've. I have not nearly as like beautifully as you as you did it, but I've I've tried to like render that myself. Even that's an image I've had as like the one because all the creation myths it always starts with like the earth separates from the sea, like and it all there's always one void to kind of begin, and then there's that initial separation and that gives form to like all the multifoliate um, elements of of life. And I just yeah, I think that was really cool too. <laughs> um, so. As the, the the scenes kind of, they build on themselves. Oh, I also wanted to ask you really quick, how did you choose the music? Because the music is extremely effective. Well, I had some inspiration. I, I mostly wrote the short to a track by carbon-based life forms. Uh, it's called, the track is called MOS uh, 9-8. I forget there's a series of numbers after it. Okay. And so um, after that, I basically hired, based on that vibe, I couldn't get the rights to the song. Um, I, one of my friends and his musical partner, I basically tapped them to do um, to do the soundtrack for me. Okay. And the way it worked is, um, yeah, I just gave them a certain vibe that I wanted. Um, I, I described, I described to them what I wanted the audience to feel, a certain progressive uh, melancholy, but that had a deeper awareness and a deeper knowledge to it and yeah. that to cradle hypnotically the audience into um th throughout the journey so they actually did a really good job um yeah in a very short amount of time within you know we mapped out just like storytelling wise where we wanted certain breaks and certain uh crescendos etc so yeah they did an excellent job uh but it was basically the aesthetic was based on some of my favorite music, which is ambient uh, space and dark ambient kind of uh, sonic journeys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they did an incredible job. It's just the absolute perfect soundtrack to the film. Um, as the scenes progress in the film, uh, there's a repeating image of people having their heart and their blown out and their heads blown out. And everything is kind of getting sucked up throughout the entire film. Um, and eventually 
every literally everything gets gets kind of sucked up. But I wanted to ask you about what that kind of so I guess in order to ask this question properly, I have to fast forward to there's kind of like an apex point of at least for the material aspect of things getting sucked upwards. And it there's basically like a huge uh, uh, sphere and the walls of the sphere are all screens and there's other symbology with the screens that we'll get to later. And then that is being guarded by like armies and bombs and tanks and, and there's a very like nuclear weapon vibe. And all that force guarding is all around this group of beings that are kind of at the very top after you watch all these things get kind of blown out and, and move up and move up and move up. This is kind of like the apex of, of that, these, these beings. And they're all like looking at something and they're deformed and grotesque looking. And you also do an, a so effective job of having them look at you, the audience, you know what I mean? Like, almost like, what are you doing here? You're intruding. Like, you know, that that was incredibly effective, too. But I just wanted you to uh, expand a little bit about what is what that the layers mean to you and how everything is getting sucked up vertically, like what what that represents to you broadly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, um, I mean, you kind of, I guess you kind of described it in some ways, but what it means is, uh, yeah, the, the life force, the energy of, of human beings, and that's like a very simple way to put it, but of, of their efforts, of their awareness, of their attention, of their consciousness, of their sovereignty, of their agency, of their free will, um, is siphoned into a certain, through various unconscious contracts, yeah. which... Uh, I'm seeing are very intelligently arranged, are siphoned because human beings have the gift of free will. And that's my philosophical stance and my view. Mm -hmm. um, and this free will needs to be manipulated according to universal law. Um, it needs to be given willingly. And many people give it willingly, but not knowing, wow, not knowing yeah. they're doing so. Damn. And so this, you know, this, I'm not going to go into this too much, but again, my understanding is that that, that then um, alleviates the manipulators from any karmic backlash because it's free will being given. And so there's a lot of like very intelligent uh, ways to do that. And that's what we're seeing right now with this whole scenario in the world. But, um, and so, so all of this energy of the sentience of the divinity of every human being, which every human being, again, in my philosophical view, in my, emerging experiences that we are aspects of, of the divine uh, as expressed within a human human being in a human form. Um, and so mm -hmm. that realization, uh, if, that's, if that is, is kept hidden, if that is, um, you know, forbidden to be looked at, if that cannot be realized by, by a large group of human beings on the earth, then they mm -hmm. remain trapped within the illusions of the actual you know the matrix of this illusory fabric of uh consensual scripts that we run and then mm. instead of seeing reality we see representations and symbols of reality and we function based on like image and appearance instead of on essence and so um yeah the the you know the hypothesis here is that there is a certain form of intelligence that is uh an apex predator in this sense which mm -hmm. is a parasitic uh, predator. Now, it's parasitic because it can't show itself, because as soon as it's known, its, it, it's power decreases exponentially. Mm 
So mm. its power lies in deception and in subterfuge and, and hiding, um, which is why I wanted to like clearly show and point to it. Now, you know, what those beings are, I constantly get messages from people who I understand their assumption that I probably have some special knowledge uh, <laughs> regarding that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I, I, I don't, and I don't know that many, many people, people do, um, but yeah. we have, I think, intelligent suppositions um, based on various conjectures on, you know, certain evidence, certain other suppositions, and overall, it doesn't even have to be beings. Like, those atrophied uh, beings are also like parts of us. They're like the lowest part of us, that part which is so terrified of being alive, of surrendering mm. to, to the mystery of existence and, and being flooded by the light of it that it needs to control and manipulate. It needs to contract against existence and it needs to siphon and parasitize uh, on the life force of others because it's, it's, it's so far removed from the light itself. <laughs> and so that's an aspect of each one of us. Unless, of course, we purify and transmute it. So, um, you know, that's, God, this, I, I guess we could just do a podcast episode just on that because there are so <laughs> many dynamics within, within that little sphere. Absolutely. But, um, but yeah, you know, to sum it up, I'll just kind of repeat what I said earlier. It's the siphoning of free will, uh, and sovereignty, really, of the human being, um, through these contra- contractual obligations. Mhm mhm. Yeah, and it it is again these beings are very deformed and grotesque looking and it's like even though they are siphoning up all of this energy and all of this quote unquote power, uh they are very like they're they're pitiful in a certain kind of way. I mean, they just look hapless and like you say there's this force that cannot it's it's uh inherently parasitic. It cannot exist on its own and that's a very you know, I, I know that nature has lots of examples of parasitism, but it also has lots of examples of symbiosis. I mean, parasitism is is only one way to go, and it's not even the best way at all, you know. Mm. So there is a certain kind of weakness. Yeah. Um, and then I, I really like what you say about how, yeah, because the, the essence of, of our divine sparks is being intentionally obfuscated, uh, again, through very, very complex, psychological war um because of that it's like i don't know i, I kind of lost my train of thought a little bit but i'm, I'm going to come back to that idea because it was something mm. about oh man i wish i could remember it'll come back to me <laughs> um, i hope so yeah yeah <laughs> uh oh the facsimile of of the divine so rather than the thing itself it has to be an uh approximation of the thing itself and hence why you mentioned everything is we we engage with each other via like topical symbols and then it kind of like mm. ends there and so yeah i i had never really like thought of that before how it, in order for for beings that have free will if you want to manipulate them effectively you have to give them the free will to willingly give up their sovereignty and uh yeah, it's like this incredible smoke and smoke and mirrors game. And in in the film, there's a very pervasive image of the mask, and the mask is like kind of an unsettling smile, like a very like broad featured smiling kind of like theater mask almost. And everyone is walking around with this mask, and so behind the mask in the film, 
these beings are like really depraved and yeah they almost look like they've had their life force like sucked out of them uh but then you're, they're all you know like there's a scene where it's like alcohol is involved and people going out and finding all these ways to basically pull the wool over their own eyes and uh yeah it's as a you know I, i'm very open on the podcast that i was a alcoholic for many years so i've been sober from alcohol for eight years now and it's almost like my life is there's two lives, like two existences. There's the existence that I had when I was alcoholic and then the existence that I've had since breaking free from that. And, you know, it's not dissimilar to the themes in the film because the, the word alcohol stems from al-kul, which is an Arabic word, and it means something like body-devouring spirit. Mm-hmm. And the idea of, like, when, you know, you drink your your personality changes for me i would black out a lot but then and so then you wake up in the morning and your friends are like dude you remember last night and and it's like how could you have possibly acted in that way and and it's almost like with the alcohol at least you can point to the alcohol in that way it's like you know thank thank god for small blessings or whatever at least you can point (laughs) to be like that's the thing that's fucking up my life um at least you know one of the major aspects that's fucking up my life but with this matrix i mean for lack of a better term it really does describe it that everyone is finds themselves enthralled by and and entrapped in it's like there's that unknowingness of like what it almost like making us forget about our own divinity ourselves and that's in that like freely giving it up aspect and Mm -hmm. yeah man incredibly powerful um symbology yeah Yeah, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad too for it to have resonated with with people. And like you said earlier, I'm very glad that it's sort of. Uh, forget what words you use, but you said something like it. I don't know something about a grounding, something that was within you, but now it brought coherence to it, and and uh, and there was some rehabilitating. Sort of like, yeah, and like a feeling of being perhaps even being like someone else understands things the way that I do. I've been yes. hearing that a lot and it seems to be a really strong strain for many people and that something indescribable within them within their vision of what may be wrong around them uh, feeling understood uh in some way it has been it seems to have been kind of therapeutic um for for some people and i i really i'm very happy very happy to hear that that's been one of the byproducts of the film Absolutely, yeah. It, your film almost strikes me as like a, uh, it's like an antioxidant, and it's like just bouncing hmm. around in the collective, and it's, you know, either like you say, probably can, some people it's kind of waking up, other people it's waking up to the fact that like, oh, I guess these thoughts that I'm having aren't isolated to only me, and that in and of itself is incredibly powerful, bringing people together, because there is strength in numbers, you know, and the more people that can kind of like wake up together then we can help each other wake up i really do believe that humans are even just the way that we're built on an evolutionary perspective we are really built for cooperation so all this artifice and and tricks and mirrors and smoke and to make us feel like we are in our own isolated box that you symbolize so well with the the red sphere in the film that's like you say very intentional because these forces know that if enough people came together, we we actually have the power. I know that's a little bit cliche, but it's very true. Oh. We're the ones supplying the fuel for for this whole mess, you know? So the moment yeah. that we decide to put our resources 
our divine sacred resources into our own enrichment, into the creation of art. That's like a major piece of breaking free from, from this trap. And the other thing is too, with, with marketing in general, the moment you become aware that you're being marketed to, that makes you a lot harder person to like crack. You know what I mean? Like if you're watching an ad, like a Ford truck advertisement and you're like, Oh, these assholes are just trying to get to buy me a Ford. How ridiculous. Then the, it's not going to have that much effect on you. If you're in like a hypnotic state and you're gorged on Cheetos and you're kind of just like your brain is like half dead and you're absorbing the Ford commercial, that's when mm-hmm. you'll wake up the next day and be like, Dag Nabbit, uh, I kind of want a Ford F-150. <laughs> so it's like the, the moment that you become aware of, of the manipulation, I think is that, that severely weakens the position of the parasite. So I don't know. Do you have any mm-hmm. thoughts about that? Well, I have a thought that I actually do want an F-150. Those are nice trucks, but <laughs> I, I legitimately see it as a utilitarian thing. But, uh... Yeah, for sure. <laughs> sure you do, Lubomir. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, beyond that, absolutely, 100%, I agree with you. When you when you pull the veil away from the artifice and you see the mechanism, yeah, it can doesn't really work on you. That's why, I mean, that's why we're seeing this incredible censorship. I don't think we've seen that in, in, in this scale ever, um, yeah. in recorded history at least. Like, not yeah. even during the wars and stuff, um, I don't think we've seen this kind of censorship. And I think it's because so many human beings now, through mass communication and maybe a lot more, something I think is moving through human beings, something good, uh, mm. so many people are seeing the, the mechanisms of, of this absurdity of these these pathetic cronies who are just clinging on to their depraved power, trying to keep people separated, sowing anger, division, hatred while preaching the opposite, um, and infantilizing human beings, keeping them in fear, using shame, guilt, basically attacking all sources of low development within all of us, all of our traumatic mm-hmm. and wounded spots, right. and sub- subverting those for their benefit. Like it's It's so stupid, it's so nasty, and it's so pathetic too. Um, so a lot of people are seeing through this and a lot of intelligent people are breaking down these methods like in a genius way. There's a lot of smart people uh, out out there, you know, doing good work. And so these guys have to scramble because that's exactly the mechanism that's going on. Um, and, and a lot of people are also complicit in this, that they just can't handle seeing the reality because unfortunately they don't have the maturity and capacity to accommodate the implications of um of allowing this knowledge to hit them like yeah events orchestrated at, at a, such a level um for you know for goals that seem completely like just treacherous it's it's difficult for someone who has you know uh just been consuming the cheetos and waking up and buying a truck <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, no, it's and and I mean that it's interesting because seeing people from all strata of of society, so very educated people, seem to be quite susceptible to this stuff. Um, and yeah, that's true. It's like like everyone is, especially if you have if if people have tied their identity, their profession, uh, and they benefit from uh, the the consensual system that we're in. Mm-hmm. If they have no self, if they haven't developed a self outside of that that's grounded in the 
eternal essence of their presence here and now, if they haven't individuated enough to be able to stand up to the crowd and, and know that what matters more is truth and virtue and right conduct, if that's not there, or at least the seed of it, then they have nothing to fall back on because any truth basically challenges and destroys the full framework to give them security. And they get security from fitting into this false system. And so they mm-hmm. need to protect this false system in order to survive psychologically. So they're kind of like unconscious victims of this whole thing. And a lot of those people happen to be in the establishment. And it's not a surprise because who else can survive within the establishment? An honest person can't survive there. Right. A person with integrity can't survive there. Nor do they have any interest in being there. And right. so it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how this thing, uh, in my opinion, it's going to start corroding more and more. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, there's a specific image in the film that really captures what you just described, and it's uh, one of the riot cops that is on the outside of the sphere, protecting it with the armies and the tanks and everything. You show, you kind of zoom into his face, and he just kind of looks like a typical kind of beefcake kind of guy, and then you flash cut to <clears throat> him standing in front of his suburban home with his family, you know, with a smile on his face, like everything's great. And, yeah, that's that's like a very kind of, more clear example of what you're saying the that once you're bought in to the status quo as i say my podcast is dedicated partly to resisting the status quo and once you're bought into that and you're even especially you're raising a family because of it you know what i mean and you love your kids and you don't want to put them at risk that's what you're like that subversion that you were saying is so powerful and effective because they can prey on your fear of like you don't want anything to happen to your family right like you better, you know, stay protecting this creepy sphere with these fucking agrigorgs inside. <laughs> but um, I, I wanted to. We're we're already at uh, an hour, if you can believe it. So I want to um, start to kind of bring the conversation to a close here. I I could just talk to you all day, but I do have to get to work and stuff. And I'm sure you probably have some things you need to do too. Mm-hmm. But I want you to expound on um what you briefly alluded to that there is something moving through humanity that is good. Uh, I don't even want to say anything more about it. Would you just expound on that, what you meant? Yeah, yeah. So I do think, I don't, uh, you know, I have private thoughts on some things, you know, some some things that I, I don't really want to commit to publicly yeah. uh, just because I, I want to say things that I can substantiate much more. So I'll just say that, I'm, yeah, I'm seeing like an impulse of, of goodness that is that is moving through people, something that is, that gives meaning and purpose and something that is much more noble than the um, repetitive, going through the repetitions of this sort of a uh, culture that, that just cycles lower self impulses. I think it's a, I think it's a higher impulse, something that is beyond the, the fallen world of, of decay and impermanence. I think that we have uh seen many, many prophecies from many traditions around the world about what potentially this time holds. Mm. And and I think uh, there's something valid about that. Um, I think it's a challenge right now. We're, we're in a situation, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm supposing that we generally may see the current situation in a similar way. You know, we haven't actually spoken about it, but... We're in a situation right now in which we are challenged to really, uh, it feels a little black and white in terms of moving into the right 
conduct of harmony, opening, of love, of strength, of courage and honesty, or moving into subservience, compliance, weakening, no free will, and an abdication of the individual, moving into fear, and then moving even worse into this technological fetishism that's brought in by these high IQ traumatized human beings with big tech yeah. who are, have these uh, yeah transhumanist uh, fetish wet dreams of, of um, controlling the life force and the organic and, and all that is alive by making it predictable through algorithms and uh, mechanical uh, surveillance and, and, you know, like all these things, which are, again, just quite pathetic. Like technology yeah. can be beautiful, but unfortunately right now it's in the hands of immature beings um, yeah. who are like, who are playing with it. So, so what is moving through us is just that. I think those people who see it have no option but to fully embrace uh, all that is good within them and live in more and more truth and shed all that is false because any complacency, any fence-sitting actually abdicates free will. And anyone mm. who is fence-sitting in the coming years uh, or worse complying will be subsumed in this wave of, of, of um, enforced behavior, thinking, feeling, and worse. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I'll just say, like, something higher is moving through us, and that's that's just what I'm seeing. To, and that is uh, manifesting to the degree that we open and surrender with deep presence and strength and groundedness to this form. Yeah. 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 I'll share just a personal anecdote that complements what you just said. So uh, for me, I I value um, mythical language. So I, I enjoy mythical language. I don't shy away from it. And so I appreciate uh, angels and I communicate with angels. And um, when I have – so when I quit drinking, I was incredibly – depressed because my whole social life, not going to get on crazy tangent right now, but my whole social life was based around alcohol and drinking. All my friends were drinkers. So then when I, I couldn't be around them anymore. And so I lost my whole social life. And so it was at the same time that I was facing all my own shit that I had been repressing through the alcohol. I was also incredibly lonely and isolated feeling. And I went to some very, very deep depths of loneliness. And, you know, I had suicidal ideations and all this stuff. And the one thing that really like rescued me from that was going out by myself in nature, even in a city, just finding some place kind of on your own in a park or cemetery, anything, and communing with that higher power, that what you speak of as that good thread that is moving through humanity. That communicating with that intangible spiritual force was the only thing that I was able to kind of resolve my loneliness with because I felt on a very, and I, I'm not saying that I somehow became enlightened and then I never had to like go through this process again. It's a continuously unfolding process. But I, I realized in my moments of epiphany that I was never alone because you have all these spiritual forces constantly imbuing you and around you. And it's very easy, even in this, you know, fallen world <laughs> to appreciate a sunset, to appreciate clouds moving over a full moon. Um, I was going to ask you to, I don't know, you, you don't have to talk about this if you don't want, but for me, um, psychedelic substances have been very helpful in terms of cracking open that veil. And so, you know, there, that was just like such an uh, eye-opening and awakening experience for me. And um, so in that, that way, I guess I was, that's how I kind of earned my faith in something greater. It was through like a direct experience of it. And so that's, I feel so strongly that like each 
part of this awakening process is to have these like personal transform transformative experiences. Like you're not going to go to a, a motivational talk and, and like, you know, absorb biosmosis, all that positivity. I mean, that might inspire you to do the work, but really it's, it's work you have to do on your own. In my opinion, that's been the only thing that that's worked for me. Um, do you have any like meditation practice or anything like that that you use to commune with this, this force of good? Yeah, I do. I just want to say nature. Yeah, absolutely agreed. It's extremely important. I, you know, I, I'm still living in the city. So my partner and I, we both go to, we are in nature every week and both her and I commune with, with nature and deepen our, our, um, our relationship with nature because the divine manifests itself through, through nature and it, there's absolutely. so much for us. It teaches us and that's why there's this real strong push within the subconscious force to separate humans from nature and yes. bind them to this technological closed loop. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, meditation, yeah, absolutely. So I have a daily practice in meditation. Um, I've gotten just back into daily uh, deep breathing. So I do conscious connected breath work uh, for about 15 minutes a day as well. Mm. And I've been... I've been working a lot with embodiment in the last five years, and that really accelerated my my being, my state of being, and by embodiment. You know, it's kind of a buzzword that has been for the last three or four years. Uh, I'll give you my sense uh, of what embodiment is, and that mm -hmm. is uh, attuning deeply into the felt sensation of the body, building, bringing consciousness into every aspect of the body in this divine vessel, because the body is an unconscious feedback loop i mean it's a it's a feedback uh feedback mechanism because it gives us immediately the uh parts of our own consciousness that are inaccessible in the form of numbness um discomforts and other parts within our body that we dare not tread because trauma and wounding stay there so and right, the act right. of bringing consciousness and light to those areas and bless and kindness and befriending those areas and inviting them back into the wholeness of the self, we are reclaiming and redeeming bit by bit our entire being. And so our body on a physical level is our tool to show us where we may be stagnating and not occupying our bodies. So the mm. more we sensitize, the more we visit and revisit these exiled areas of unconsciousness, we start bringing more and more into uh, our, our soul, in a way, into our body. And the more grounded we are in the body, more in tune we are with our intuition. We know when we are deceived and we are, when we are in truth. Our feelings are felt in our body. So the more we can tune into the body, the more we can start being in tune with the feelings and what they show us mm -hmm. and our emotions. Whether right or wrong, we can be masters of our experience as opposed to be at the mercy of it. So this embodiment process is something I try to do whenever I am aware of it, of being in my body, feeling my body, whether I walk down the street or in the forest or I'm with family, whenever I can, I tune into like relaxation and breathing deeply. And really, um, yeah, there's ever, you know, things come up like fear and anxieties. Embracing that as a, as a warrior would go into it and, and create the space around that and feel it as it is so that mm -hmm. it can then completely transform. And, you know, seeing it fully and honestly and being there as a, as a caring parent for something that is aberrant within us, you know, instead of uh, locking it away with um, 
strategies that will just keep pushing it away, right? And that's mm-hmm. those are that's where like addictions come from and like or overachieving or neurotic like um hustling and entrepreneurship <laughs> all these things are so right. many to avoid this, right? Rising and grinding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like yeah, yeah. So that's in general that's those are kind of like the basic practices that I that I do. Awesome. And um in the the film ends on a very uh, I would say uplifting note. And um, one image that that always really strikes me is the the white bird. There's like this kind of almost like half insubstantiated, almost spirit bird that emerges as all the edifices that we've been describing, the cubes of isolation, they all break apart. Even the skyscrapers themselves like break apart. Everything gets kind of blown out even to a greater degree then in the the first part of the film and this white bird emerges uh, from it. Could you expound? I think you kind of have already in many ways, but is, is there anything you'd like to say about that, that white bird and what that represents? Mm-hmm. So all these structures that, that are collapsing, they're the structures and systems that have up until now given, given us comfort and a certain um, stability within our perception of reality. So they have, they have had a function within our conscious evolution, but they're outdated and now they have become a burden. And so they represent the inner structures of thought, behavior, and framing of reality as, and in addition to out, outward structures of institutions of corrupt, uh, clogged up institutions that no longer serve humanity, but really, um, burden it. And so as all these illusions break down, which again, I think we are entering that to some degree right now within our world consciousness, as those break down and the, um, the, the actual lower self is, is faced, the inner shadow is faced, the social mask or the persona is faced and dissolved. And when more and more of the real true self emerges, that's when the phoenix rises from the ashes of all the mm-hmm. old systems collectively mm-hmm. and individually of the dead shell. So there's that resurrection, this classical resurrection that we know uh, is an aspect of world culture, of the mythical world culture, the resurrection in which the the material um, earthbound self dies. And it offers, you know, if there was a, a, a necessary maturing of that, a realization of what the ego is. Uh, and, and then, and I don't mean ego in Jungian ways, I mean more like in an Eastern way. So, and then uh, letting go of the ego, shedding, sort of like shedding that cloak of illusion and within our, uh, natural, deep, powerful self, we rise up like a phoenix from the ashes mm-hmm. into bir- birthing the new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, really beautifully put. Um, so before I let you go, Lubomir, um, I just want to ask what's next for you artistically? Um, are you, you know, are you in between projects right now? Do you have anything kind of in the works? I know you might not be able to talk about all of it, but, um, what's next for you creatively and artistically? Yeah. So right now I'm working on a short film. It's part of an animated anthology based on some Russian folk tales. Um, Mm -hmm. I have, I'm right directing a 15 minute short film that uh has to do with virtual reality, uh social credit score system, oh, wow. and a sort of great reset dystopia. Yeah. So I'm 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 working some of these themes out and like what uh virtual reality is and how, how it can uh 
new potential soul possessions. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that turns out. I, I don't know yet. So I'm working with some good people on it. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know when that will be out. It's not up to me. This is something that I'm working with this team on. And then it's, it's entirely up to them when and how it's going to be released. Um, but beyond that, yeah, I'm looking at something more substantial and bigger to do, like uh, after that, and we'll see. We'll see how that turns out. I, there isn't much I can say about it, but if it happens, unfortunately, it's going to be years before it <laughs> comes out. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have to be patient. I'm I am very very excited for that next short film. I cannot wait to see it and to see how you kind of like put into images those ideas because. Um, yeah, like just like you, I'm I'm also kind of watching this all unfold, and it's you know, yeah, it's it's a real process to be kind of like it's almost like a slow motion car crash in so many ways. But then <laughs> you don't <laughs> you don't want to just gawk at it, you know what I mean? You have to like live your life, and that's where for me like art and creativity and like connecting, like this conversation, you know what I mean? Like that's the fuel that that kind of feeds me to fight through it. And yeah, we. We we are we do have a lot of allies. Um, I believe we have allies in the physical and the immaterial and spiritual realm. So there are there's resources there. You know they they're a little more subtle, but um, I really do believe they're accessible to everybody. Um, really quick, you mentioned that you do a type of breath work. Would you just talk about that a, a little bit? Yeah, so I do two types of breath work. One is uh, bioenergetics, and I've studied a lot of Alexander Lowen's works. Uh, he was a student of Wilhelm Reich. And bioenergetics has a type of like standing um, with your arms spread open type of breathing that really works with the fashion and the inner musculature through tremors and bringing breath deep within. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing. But what I mentioned uh, earlier is what I'm doing now predominantly, which is uh, it's something called conscious connected breath. But you may also know it as holotropic breath work, uh, which mm. was developed by Stanislav Grof, um, who used to do LSD studies, and he developed that with his wife after LSD was banned um, in the 60s or 70s, late 60s, I think, of the research substance. Anyhow, um, it's basically connected breath is you don't you, – you keep your breath uh, in and out breath connected, so there's no actual pausing in between them. You breathe mm-hmm. through the mouth as deeply as you can. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, the gist of it is you can just play some, it's great to play some great tribal or any really music that amps up the, the atmosphere and like going in for feeling, being mindful of the body. It could be gentle, but it's, it's great for it to speed up and to allow a lot more air slash spirit to enter the body and start mm-hmm. unlocking aspects that were hitherto unconscious. So there can be a lot of unpleasantness, a lot of resistance, a lot of just like getting up and like, I'm not going to do this. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. In general, the sessions are from like 45 minutes to an hour, but uh, I do for practical purposes. I just do 15 minutes every day right now. And that's mm. enough to get a lot of uh, life force within me and unlock some things. And this, like everything else, is something that compounds. And, you know, it's as we now know, it's best to do something for five minutes every day than like do five hours once a week, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's about incremental everyday habits that really create big changes. Absolutely. Um, that, 
Yeah, does that describe sort of, is that fulfilling enough for other descriptions? Absolutely. Yeah, I just, I always want to give listeners threads they can pull on for their own uh, self-development practices. And um, yeah, I really like that. I'm going to look into the holotropic breathwork. That sounds really, really interesting. Um, before I let you go, uh, do you want to plug any, you know, any projects you're working on, any socials you want people to know about, anything that you want to direct my listeners to? Uh, well, I'm, I've been quite an inactive, but I will start posting on Twitter. I have a new, newly, uh, created Twitter account, so you can just find me at, at Lubomir Arsov. Same handle on Instagram, which I, again, I'm hoping to post on more. I, I am developing some NFTs, um, of just single frames of, uh, in shadow. So there's going to be a collection. Nice. Yeah. Right now there's a collection of, uh, they'll be dropping bi-weekly or so of, uh, frames and, and gifts in shadow so uh, those will be available for anyone who wants to support the work and any future works by me and also to own a part of um, it's not really owning a part of the film but it's owning something of it which you know they're one they're single editions so that's available yeah. on superrare.com okay. and you can find me there um, that's really it though uh, for now, yeah. No. That's a great yeah. idea to, to make NFTs. I think that's going to work really well for you. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's see. I'm, I mean, it's interesting for me because uh, there's there's certain thoughts I have about the digital landscape, but I'm experimenting right now with this emerging sphere of, of entrepreneurship, so we'll see. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm connected with the spirit of the raven, and ravens are all about survival. And so it's like when when in dealing with this like hyper material reality, we do need to support ourselves so that we can continue to put good work out into the world. And my thing with NFTs is I feel like they're just being used to launder money anyway. So you might as well make a cool one that <laughs> someone can launder their money through yours. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why not you? You know what I mean? And I imagine yeah. uh, your film has like probably like real real cult following and that's going to expand out i just see it expanding out exponentially so um i think that's a really mm -hmm. good idea yeah thank um, you brother yeah well it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you i just want to thank you again for sharing your insights and what a treat to be able to actually speak with the creator himself so thank you very much and um i just really appreciate it and yeah keep keep fighting the good fight man Thank you, brother. And Colin, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure as well. I really, really enjoyed this last hour and a half speaking to you. So thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. And I will let you know when the episode goes live. Sounds good. All the best. All right. You take care. Bye. Peace.